The Boating Life Podcast with Savvy Navi, making marine navigation at sea easy. Welcome to the Savvy Navi Podcast Series. I'm your host, Kerry Herford Jones, and it's a real pleasure to welcome you on board as I meet up with a wonderful variety of guests who are all connected in some way, shape, or form to the marine world. This series is designed to specifically try and reduce the barriers to boating and show how you can overcome them. Among our guests in this series will be a ship's pilot, a marine operator, one of the team from Sunsail, and the CEO of a major boat broker. I'll also be chatting to the RNLI, a specialist marine insurance broker, and the RYA. But before we start, I need to introduce you to two very special people, and they're Jack Russell Freddy. This young couple, who until now have sailed mainly in the Solent, have decided to challenge themselves by circumnavigating the coast of the UK over the next 12 months. Together, we all now have the great good pleasure to be following their story. Welcome, Adam, Lauren and Freddie. Lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting us. Adam and Lauren, just introduce yourselves to us in the sense of who you are and what your story is to date. So my name's Adam. I'm 32 years old. I'm from Southampton where I've lived and worked all of my life. I work there as a mechanical maintenance and fabricator. I'm Lauren, so I also am 30 years old. I grew up in Southampton, lived and worked in Southampton all of my life. By background, I'm a nurse, recently worked in a large teaching hospital on the south coast. And in terms of sailing, although I grew up in the Solent, I didn't really have any exposure to boats or sailing until I met Adam. When I met Adam, he'd already lived on board his boat for a year, and I swiftly moved on board, and then the rest is history. After one year, we upsized to Phoenix. So really, I've got Adam to thanks for introducing me to all of this. <laughs> Adam, what was the reason for buying a boat in the first place? Because my parents were moving away, I wanted to continue living in Southampton. My first uh, thought was, to be honest, it was accommodation. I, I wanted something that I could live on on my own, but I wanted a boat that, that wasn't too big, it wasn't too daunting, because at that point I had no sailing experience at all. So I was looking for something, essentially like a big dinghy. I wanted something that was easy to sail something that wasn't the sails weren't too heavy to put up and down and potentially I'd have to be sailing this on my own essentially after I would got a little bit of experience so just something that was easy to handle and easy to sail. Not everybody has the opportunity to buy a boat uh, let alone live on it. How did you actually make that boat dream become a reality Adam? Once I decided that that was going to be the move I decided that I wanted to do I just visited quite a few brokerages. I looked up and down uh, the country via the internet for certain boats for a certain price. So I was looking at a boat between 28 foot and 30 foot, as that was the size that I thought I could live on on my own, would, would give me enough space, but also wasn't too expensive. And then deciding, was I going to live in a marina or how how that was going to work, whether I was going to live closer to Southampton or would I be commuting and, and things like that. And what was on the must-have list for that first boat for you? So the, the must-have list was I needed and I wanted a, a decent size bed because I was going to be living on it uh, and and using it as my base. So I needed it to be comfortable. I wasn't too worried about it being 
uh, small inside as I was just on my own at that point. So mm. as long as I had the ability to cook and I had a half decent bed to sleep in, that was really, I was happy with that. When anybody's looking to buy whatever type of boat they've got in their heads, it's all about compromises. There's things you're willing to compromise on. Anything from your point of view that you thought, well, yeah, okay, the bed's important. You're willing to compromise on everything else? I'm pretty relaxed when it comes to those sort of things. So, I, yeah, I was, I was willing to compromise on quite a lot. It needed to have a toilet on board. But in terms of luxuries, heating, freezer and things like that, I just thought, I'm willing to let that go and, and, and just make it work, really. I think it's important to say here as well that when you bought your first boat, you had never sailed before. You didn't have any experience of being on a boat. So probably you weren't looking at it at the same way as if you would look at a boat now. So things that you would be looking for now would be very different. At that time, you were just looking for a living space, somewhere to be. But now you'd look at it probably from more of a sailor's perspective, I would say. Yes, definitely. At first, it was a means to an end. And as I said, something just to learn to sail, get out on the water and start learning how, you know, how to navigate and that sort of thing. So what sort of lessons did you learn when you got that first boat, Adam? So one of the first lessons I learned, which sounds really stupid now, is you must pay attention to what the tide is doing. And that unfortunately led me to have a slight incident with the pontoon which took a lot of confidence from me and from that point on I thought well you wouldn't drive a car without having some instructions without having any lessons you don't actually need qualifications to sail a boat but I thought you know what as I'm coming completely new to this I, I better do uh, a qualification so I chose at that point to do my my day skipper qualification. We're going to talk more about qualifications in, in future podcasts, Adam. What about you, Lauren, from your perspective? This is all about living a dream. How much of a dream is it for you? So we have, I have two different experiences, I guess, because when I first met Adam, he had the small 28-foot. That was my first exposure to living on board a boat. And really, thanks to that boat, that boat sold me the dream because I knew what we could achieve by if we upgraded to a bigger boat, which we now have. So I have that boat to thanks, really, for introducing me to it. Our dream has changed a little bit as we've uh, progressed onto our bigger boat. At first, when we decided this is the lifestyle that we want to live, the cruising lifestyle, we upgraded to the larger boat that we now live on. At first, we thought well, the dream is to sail off into the sunset to the Caribbean, the Mediterranean, maybe even a circumnavigation. And we always had have that as an underlying dream but for us it's recently changed to we just want to continue this lifestyle it's not about our end destination if we sail around the UK and that and we don't go anywhere else that's fine we just want to continue this for as long as we can and just enjoy the journey rather than rushing from A to B. I think it's changed from going to a destination for us you know we did have these big dreams of going to the Caribbean and the Med as you've just said but now yeah it's just about how can we keep cruising and just exploring and we don't mind if it takes if we're taking it slowly or taking our time because for us now it's the excitement is the journey and rather than the end destination I would say and we'll kind of go where the wind takes us. Mm -hmm. Literally yeah. and metaphorically. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Many people come into the, the boat buying world, they're starting to think about uh, a boat. What would your advice be to somebody coming into the market? Would it be about actually, do you know what, start small and work your way up? If you're 
coming into the market completely new as we were i think definitely start small i think people always think bigger is always better but it's it's definitely not a smaller boat okay you might not have the living space that you want but it's much easier to handle it's a little bit more forgiving when you're sailing because you can actually go out in the slightly easier conditions not so windy go out on the on the low wind days and and have a play around the lines the have the sails aren't as heavy so it's just it's just a lot easier on a smaller boat if i could go back in time and give myself some advice as learn how to dinghy sail because mm. for me i was learning how to sail and still am on a big 39 foot very heavy westerly and actually if i could go back and learn how to get more wind awareness on a small dinghy I think that would be so beneficial and I would say to somebody start small and work your way up if you can obviously if you can't you know you can learn as you go but for me I think I do think I missed that sort of stage and that it kind of hindered me a bit mm. yes. did you consider chartering anything first I didn't actually consider chartering it, to be honest it just slipped my mind for me I, I probably wouldn't have been able to actually charter a boat on my own because at that point I didn't have any qualifications so I've had to maybe hire a skipper which would have been a lot a lot of extra costs that I didn't really have the budget for if someone was considering chartering first I think that that would be a good idea the only thing with that I would say is if you charter you're going to have the mindset of it's a holiday so I think if you wanted maybe just get some experience I'd maybe think about just go for your competent crew or if you're already done that sort of thing maybe just go for your day skipper the reason for that is it would give you a bit more of a sense of how the boat is going to be working how how you're going to be doing your passage plans and it's a bit more of a realistic view rather than just chartering a boat in say the med and and, and having a week's holiday mm. yeah reality uh, versus dream isn't it it's a balance between the two and mistakes we all make mistakes when we're buying boats so there, there are a couple of uh, hints and tips you would give us when you're considering actually buying a boat adam from your experience so when i bought my first boat it was up on the hard and i bought it from a brokerage and it might sound crazy but i didn't actually get a proper survey done i actually had a friend of a friend who knew about boats and they came down and looked it over for me so i would definitely recommend getting a survey by a registered surveyor because they'll just go into so much more detail i didn't also see the engine running or do any type of sea trial which was a big mistake for me because when i eventually had the boat dropped into the water i couldn't actually start the engine i thought wow i've actually paid a lot of money here that for a boat that that's not working so i would definitely definitely say see the engine running if you can and have time and the owner is happy to do so do a sea trial even if it's just motoring down the river just to check things all running fine one of the things i would not made a mistake but something that i wish we had done when we were looking at getting our boat now was to actually take a video when you're there so ask the owner if when you're looking around if you can take a video because it can be quite overwhelming when you're looking at a boat and there's so many questions and things to consider and if the owner's there you kind of feel like there's a bit of pressure to you can't fully look at everything and you know you almost want to go back and look at the boat multiple times so if you have a video tour going inside all the cupboards and looking at the keel bolts and things like that you can sort of refer back to that 
in the future and I think that would be something people may find beneficial. Really good advice. I think we all sort of get a bit carried away with looking at boats through our heart than with our minds. Are there three things you might not have considered that you should have considered on reflection? I think we got, we have to say really that we did get really lucky with this boat. Yeah, when I bought the first boat, I definitely didn't consider how far we wanted to go on that boat and how seaworthy it was and what my ambitions were as far as cruising. So what I mean is when you're looking at buying a boat, decide what type of cruising that you want to do. Do you want to go long distance? Are you happy sailing around your local area? And that really then has an impact on on the sort of things you're going to be looking for. So my first boat, it didn't have a life raft. It didn't come with life jackets. Obviously, I bought my own life jackets and had a few safety, not issues, but things I would have, I would have changed that we have now changed on our boat that we have now, which is jack lines. Obviously, we have life raft. We have man overboard procedures, personal beacons, EPUBs, that sort of thing. And I think those those things are, are obviously very crucial to safety but things that you should consider when you're going to be going either offshore or just pottering around your local area. Mm. But also to remember that when you are looking at a boat, don't be fooled, like with a house and everything, don't be fooled by the first view and the cosmetic view. Even if it has all of this equipment on board, you need to look at the structural integrity of the boat and make sure that essentially it's going to be safe for what you want to do. So in this day and age, you've got an awful lot of choice out there in terms of access to the marketplace for boats. There's advice coming to you from all over the place. Where do you consider sort of a reliable place to get information, Lauren? So for me, I think there is just so much, there's so many options really. The main advice that I take on board would be advice from friends and family and people that are within the sailing world and have their own first-hand experience that I can relate to. I think it's easy to go online and ask on forums and Facebook groups and things like that, but you do have to take that advice kind of with an air of caution because we've sort of asked on the forum several times and the response is mixed. So generally I would say do your own research, ask people that you value their opinion and you know that you can relate to. There is a lot of information online, but you need to go and experience it for yourself firsthand. Adam, the same with you? Yes, as, in a way similar to Lauren, I spoke to a lot of people that had actually already done what I wanted to do, had long done long distance sailing. As Lauren said, the forums and internet can be, a, it's so much out there, it's a bit of a mixture. So I actually read some books by people that have, done it made a career out of it listened to podcasts again with with people that have done the similar sailing as far as offshore sailing which is what we're we're interested in i would say just get yourself out there get yourself in the sailing community talk to people that have done it some of the best advice that we've had is from people that have sailed in the areas that we're interested in and people can give us first-hand advice so i would just say get yourself out there get networking, get talking to people. There's so much wealth of knowledge out there that people have a lot of stories to tell that you can learn a lot from. Mm. So I think that's the most valuable piece of advice would be just to talk to people, mm. really. And it's often uh, the, the horror stories that put you off things. So uh, you have to learn lessons yeah. the hard way. But <laughs> when you're partying with a lot of cash, you want to try and minimise the risk, don't you? Definitely, yeah. It's, it's scary when you're mm. buying your first boat, especially if you are inexperienced like we were, because... Not only are you just buying a weekend fun or a toy or something 
you're buying something that's going to keep you safe. You, you're buying something that that could break. It could mm. you could get things wrong. You could wash up on on the beach if you've fallen asleep and not done done your anchor correctly. So it, it's it's not a gamble, but there is a lot more risking it. I think. And if you live on board as well, I always felt the extra pressure that, oh my goodness, we're going to be living on board as well. If anything <laughs> happens to this boat, that's, you know, everything. But yeah, just do your research and talk to people. Find out exactly what sort of boat you want that's going to be good for you and your purpose because everybody has different agendas. So guys, mm-hmm. absolutely brilliant. Lovely to talk to you today. Thank you so much for joining us for this first of the Savvy Navi podcasts. And uh, I hope we can catch up with you again soon. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you very much for having us. You've got to just love those guys, haven't you? Now, before we meet our next guest, I should tell you that Adam and Lauren did have one major thing that they had overlooked once they'd purchased their boat. They'll tell us what that thing was at the end of today's podcast. In the meantime, we'll take a short break. Getting stressed out planning your next sailing trip. Savvy Navi acts like your silent first mate cross-checking your calculations and providing all the information you need to get out on the water safely. Get integrated charts, weather forecasts, tidal heights, tidal streams, distance calculations and more in one place. Whether you're looking to plan an entire trip or just want to check the charts, tide and weather, it's as easy as one, two, three. Sail safe, sail easy. Sail with Savvy Navi. Download the app now on the Apple app and Google Play stores to start your free trial. Having heard about buying a boat from Adam and Lauren's point of view, I thought it would be a good idea to meet up with a leading international boat broker. So let's hear from the founder and CEO of Boatshed, Neil Chapman, as I asked him about his nautical CV. I started sailing in my 20s, but it wasn't until uh, my 30s that I decided I wanted to go sailing more often. And as with sailing, you had to work out a system for being able to fund yourself and fund the boat. So I bought a small brokerage office in Milford Haven in Wales and sat in that office with very few customers and thought, I need to find a way of selling more boats. And literally, we started photographing all the bits of the boats that people don't normally show you. This is back in 1999. And we put that information on the web. So we were the first people really to introduce secondhand boat sales onto the web, called it boatshed.com. And we now operate our system across 70 locations from Seattle to Phuket in Thailand. The business was developed to fund the sailing. And I'm very lucky in the fact that I get to spend most of my time on a boat. And because the platform now manages all the facets of the of, of the business, I can uh, work essentially anywhere. So today I'm sitting uh, on a boat in Hamble. <laughs> Talking to us on a boat in Chichester. What's been your most enjoyable and perhaps there I asked the question of anybody on a boat, their worst boating experience? Oh, well, I, I do have a claim to fame on the on the worst boating experience. Uh, back in 1998, I managed to roll my uh, 42-foot catch in uh, Storm 10 in uh, 15 to uh, 17 metre seas and a big high-profile rescue. The RNLI awarded a 
bronze medal to the boat that picked us up. Not one that I'm, I want to repeat very quickly, although everyone was fine and the boat was salvaged and I still have the same boat now. The most pleasant experience, well I'm actually on a different boat at the moment today with a broken down engine alongside in Hamble. It's been raining but now it's a little bit sunny and every day that you're on a boat is definitely the best time. You've given us an outline to, to Boat Shed, you made it sound very very simple. Is it that simple Neil? There's been some challenges all along, but quite literally our process is we need to visit each boat that we're selling. So we go along and we take generally two, three hundred photos of the bilges, the wiring, all the bits that people want to see if you're looking for a boat, plus video, plus, plus VR. And then from then on, we manage the whole process. So we work like an estate agent. We're a broker. So we manage all of the money and the legal transfer of title, etc., etc. But primarily what we learned in Milford Haven in the very early days is that people don't want their time to be wasted. So if the boat is dirty or if it's old or things that don't work, let's be completely open and transparent about that. And that enables the process to be honest, to be much simpler. So you're dealing with fewer clients who have profiled themselves about a particular boat. And we've built a platform over the last 20 years that manages all of the boat images, all of the customers, all of the money, all of the contracts. So yeah, through a series of constantly developing systems and processes that hopefully make it easier. I wouldn't profess that anything in the marine industry is easy, but it's reasonably straightforward. The main thing is I'm really lucky to enjoy what I do. So it really doesn't feel like work this is probably a how long is a piece of string answer to a question what range of boats do boat shed have at any one time well we will only list a boat if we have representation on the ground someone to go out there and take the photographs and get all the information but we apply the same principle of photographs and transparency across any boat and we've sold now over twenty thousand boats i you know i wish all of those were super yachts but they're not they're everything from rowing boats to family cruisers to at the moment we might have a small diesel launch in norfolk coupled with the fact that we might be selling a, a half a million pound lagoon catamaran in the bvis so there's a complete range and the 60 million dollar question of course is when is a good time to buy when is a good time to sell well again we're very much data driven and in the early days we could see patterns of people tending to sell the boats during the winter and buy during the summer really over the years the data has shown us that there, there, there aren't really in any embedded patterns the the key is is that there are two things that will sell a boat the boat and the price and if the price is correct then it will sell regardless of location and regardless of time of year to follow that theme further on neil what would you like buyers to be better prepared for i would say the main thing that anyone buying a boat should prepare them for is the ability to negotiate um, everyone's boat's the best boat in the world. There isn't any good, reliable glasses guide like there is with cars in terms of value. So by the very nature of boat ownership, that's, people are tend to overvalue their boats and that's reflected across the entire marketplace. And I think my number one tip with anyone preparing themselves to buy a boat is, look, that the price that you see is the price that the owner would like to achieve, yes? But it is all about offers. And I would say to anyone buying a boat, 
be prepared to make an offer all right the offer may be refused but at least we have the ability to open a conversation mm. the contrasting question therefore has to be about what would you like sellers to sort out better on their boats before they put them on the market people ask all the time what should i do with my boat to make it easier to sell and whatever I would say one thing, we can show all the photographs of all of the various bits, the bilges and the quality of the upholstery. You know, we haven't quite developed digital smell yet. It is very off-putting if the boat, you know, if the bilges have diesel in them or if the boat's smelly in any way. So that tends to be... To me, you know, cleanliness is the thing. Don't spend money on refurbishing. Just make sure the boat is spotlessly clean so people can really see, essentially, what they're hoping they want to make a bid for. Any other advice, then, for people entering into the boat buying or selling marketplace? I think that the one thing that buyers need to understand is that the boat purchase is only part of of the story and that boats at the moment like i said make an offer there's a lot of boats available that with very low money and perfectly good boats obviously make sure that you get a boat surveyed when you're going through the purchase process but i think that the current availability of boats is is absolutely great and there is that whole thing about looking beyond the the first thing you see and being prepared to as you say once you've negotiated a price actually thinking what are my skill sets what could i actually do to improve this boat and therefore take what could be a very seaworthy boat but just needs improvement so if you like uh, sort of think beyond that would you agree with that yeah and i would i mean and again going back to the point about you've got the initial purchase price but then as leading on to say what is the thing going to cost you and approach that with with a sensible sharp pencil and a piece of paper and say okay my mooring options are do i want to keep it on a marina will i keep it ashore and then launch it when i need it will it be kept on a swinging mooring and understand the costs of all of those similarly insurance and boatshed has become very much a data management company and a lot of our brokers we have an internal tool for instance which is a boat cost calculator so that will tell you know, approximately essentially how much a particular boat based on you know, the 20,000 boats that we've sold how much a boat costs to moor its insurance its maintenance and, and, and we'll give you a, a good overall impression but you know you need to be budgeting for 10 or 20 percent at the most of a boat's value in terms of its annual running costs if you want to keep the boat up to scratch and have it so it's usable all the time so two good things there one the uh data as you say boats should have collated over the last 20 years and that's almost a glass guide you have yourself internally isn't it so we open up a lot of that data we have an archive for instance to give you an idea i think currently if you take westerly centaurs for instance i think we've been involved in the sale of nearly 700 of those so hundreds of photos and the, the video is all still available via the archive we have all of the data in terms of activity prices price reduction curves internally we don't publish that we use that internally within our, our brokerage organization but all of the photographs and information is there on the archive and, and and it's very popular with people essentially researching boats of different kinds of layouts and and and, and, and so on and so forth you've given some really good advice there neil particularly to first time buyers entering this market of course with the whole staycation thing going on now people are coming into this market for the first time Perhaps just one or two very, very simple 
pieces of advice for anybody entering the market for the first time? Yes, and it's interesting. I mean, currently, if we look at this year's data, around 30% of the boats that we're selling are to people who haven't had a boat before, and hence working with your broker to understand what the costs are going to be and and get, as I say, a a very sensible idea of what the things are, what everything costs. Taking friends who are experienced with boats, if you've got friends with experience with boats, take them along as well. It's a massive learning pool. I've been sailing now for a long time. I've probably done you know 40,000 sea miles every time I go out there's something that I'm like oh that's that's interesting that surprised me or I've learned something there absolutely and that's the fun of it you're learning all the time so if you have a sort of mind that is inquisitive and wants to learn then boat ownership is a great way to satisfy that uh, thirst for uh, knowledge and challenges Final couple of questions for today's podcast Neil first of all can I just ask who are your typical customers so obviously we've got two sets of customers. We've got people selling their boats with us uh, and people buying the boats. I, I, I would say a complete range, Kerry, all sorts of people. And as I say, because we sell such a range of, of different boats, you've got people who are first-time buyers. A lot of it is repeat business. We have boats that we've sold multiple times. I remember one of our customers, the first boat they bought from us was a small little sailing dinghy. And I think they're now on their sixth boat with us, which they bought down at, at Boatshed in Palmer. Is there a kind of a standard charge? Yes, our standard charge is 8% of the value of the boat yes, in the UK and 10% elsewhere. It's completely no sale, no fee. So unless we find a customer that is prepared to buy a boat at the price that the customer wants to sell it for and our commission is covered, then we charge. If we don't, it doesn't cost you anything. And the other thing I would say to customers at the moment is there are lots of ways to be able to sell your boat. You can advertise it privately. There's lots of internet sites to be able to put it on. All right. Boatshed is a full service brokerage. You give it to us, we're going to do absolutely everything from doing all of the showings, doing everything else. But I would recommend to, and this is what I say to customers who are, who, who are using us, use those, use those other sites, put the boat for sale privately. And the principle that, you know, if, 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 if the broker does his job and sells the boat correctly and, and does what he does, then he's going to get his commission. And if he doesn't, then he's not going to get it. The commission is a great motivator and our whole organisation is, is completely commission-based. Our websites don't do any advertising or whatever. At the end of the day, we have to sell boats, all right? Otherwise, we starve. Final question then for today's podcast, Neil. Partnerships very important in any form of life. You you were referencing earlier, and I love that whole thing about your marriage guidance counselling for boats. I thought it was absolutely lovely, but partnerships are important. What does the partnership with someone like Savvy Navi mean to Boatshed? Well, I, I think that the partnership with Tavi Navi is important and exciting because, you know, everyone in the Boatshed organisation, no one's been a broker before. We were all essentially boaters and sailors. All right. So we recognise that certain products, certain services in the market are of interest or what we're, you know, at the end of the day, all right, we're judging it on how useful it is. I mean, I just bought this particular boat that I'm sitting on today around from Essex. And so Essex to Hamble, basically three day I just did day sailing because I had my nephew with me who's never sailed before, all right, and my cousin who's never sailed before. So two two complete novices on the boat, had a lovely trip around, the weather was absolutely superb. But Savvy Navi, and, and it's interesting, I used it with them, and they're completely inexperienced, to basically demonstrate all of the, at the planning phase of each day, all of the things that, what to expect at different stages, what the tide's going to be doing, what the weather's potentially going to be doing, whatever. We really like that element of it as a planning tool but going back to the question about partnerships i mean we have a system called friends of boatshed all right which is 
basically and copy line is marine businesses we love to do business with and these partnerships are, are all about helping customers like companies like Savvy Navi and equally them helping us so it, it needs to be it needs to be symbiotic and, 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 and I mean it's got to be useful and I think that I mean obviously on the Savvy Navi front the ability to be able to show to people who've never been sailing before it's very difficult to conceptualize what you're going to meet all right on a sailing trip but I particularly like using Savvy Navi for the planning phase and it's another useful addition to your navigator's tool chest yeah yeah as we said right at the outset breaking down the barriers to boating that's what this is about in this sense you're helping that with the business you run but recognizing that it's not just one business it's a whole breadth of people that come together to support people and for people to get more out of their sailing and more out of their boating very much so we're enjoying a boom at the moment because lots of new people coming into boating which is great we're we normally have around 2,000 boats for sale we've only got around a thousand at the moment that's an indication of how many have sold so there's lots of activity which is great if i was going to leave one sort of request if you are considering selling your boat please do consider us because as i say if you are selling your boat Use as many opportunities as you possibly can. We're not an exclusive brokerage, so you know you can go with other brokers uh, uh, as well as us. And really, the business as it's developed has become, you know, it's more about finding the listings. Great advice and uh, eloquently put. Neil Chapman, thank you so very much indeed for joining us for today's Savvy Navi podcast. That's great. Thank you so much indeed. Thanks once again to Neil Chapman for joining us on today's podcast. And of course, Adam and Lauren and Freddie as well. Uh, I mentioned earlier that Adam and Lauren did have a bit of a problem when they had purchased their boat that they in fact had overlooked one major thing. And I asked him what that major thing was. Well, when I bought my boat, you need to have somewhere to actually go and, and berth it. So when I was completing the sale for my first boat, I hadn't actually confirmed with anywhere that I could take it to. So there was a little bit of an anxious period where I thought, oh, am I going to have to be at anchor in the middle of the river somewhere? But the question is, did I find somewhere to, uh, to take? And that we'll find out in the next podcast. So that wraps up our first Savvy Navi podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Join us for more from the Savvy Navi team very soon. The Boating Live podcast with Savvy Navi, making marine navigation at sea easy.